here to behold you and proclaim your name on high. Let's pray that you would be with us this morning as that comes and teach us from your word. Let our minds, attention, and hearts, affection would be solely on you. And that lives today would be moved from death to life. We love you and we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you guys for leading us in worship this morning. If you've um, ever heard me talk about uh, any of my kind of TV or, or movie preferences, you know that I have the preferences of a, a old, old woman, an old person, like I'm talking like my granny, right? Um, I like shows like, I don't know, Andy Griffith. If you've, ever, if you've never watched Andy Griffith, raise your hand. Right up here on the front row. Uh, maybe a little church discipline needs to happen right up here on the front. I don't, I don't know. Um, Matlock, right? Most people are like, if you've never heard of Matlock, raise your hand. All right. Um, anyway, I don't know what we can do about you guys. But um, I love a good courtroom drama. I, 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 love, I love a, a, a courtroom drama. Um, but I want a courtroom drama where justice is done, right? I, I want the right outcome. I want the person who is guilty, who did the crime, to get punished, right? I want them to get the right judgment on them. And if someone is innocent, um, I, I want their innocence to be proven, and I want that good outcome. So I like shows uh, like a a Blue Bloods, if you've ever watched Blue Bloods with Tom Selleck. Um, it's old person TV. If you've never watched it, I understand. Uh, but here's what I love about them is justice normally happens. And at the end of the episode, though there's like kind of themes that run through episode to episode to episode, there's closure at the end of every episode. The good guy wins and the bad guys lose. Courtroom drama is always good when you have, uh, whether, whether, you know, it could go two ways. You could be on the side of uh, the DA, uh, the defense attorney going after the criminal. Uh, you could be on the side of, of the lawyer who is acting on behalf of the person who's being prosecuted. Your jury matters, your judge matters, like all those pieces matter in a courtroom drama. And, and man, the writers, as they write, they have to lure you into a place that when the verdict comes, you don't know which way it's going to go, right? That's a good courtroom drama. Let me tell you what, what doesn't make a good courtroom drama. A plea deal, <laughs> right? Uh, when, when you settle out of court, isn't that boring? It's like when, when sometimes there'll be a show and, and you'll get to the show and they're like, oh, they took a plea deal and... And the, the, like the person on the DA's end or the, the cop who was putting them away is like mad about it. And it's boring. It doesn't make good TV. It's not, there's not drama in that. Let me tell you something. If I ever get in a situation where, um, Lord, I, I pray this never happens, that I've done something stupid, I've done something wrong, and I've got to go to court and stand before a jury and judge, I'm taking the plea deal. <laughs> right? It may be boring, but I'm like, hey, I, I'm, I'm getting out of this thing, right? Uh, I'm going to take, take the plea deal. Um, here's the real truth. I want a pardon, not a sentence. I want a pardon, 
And uh, today, as we open up the God's Word, we're, we're going to see this. We're going to see this. Here's, here's the big truth that I want to show you today. Is that Jesus is either our judge or our advocate. Repent from self-righteousness and choose him as advocate. Listen, uh, it's, it's really interesting when we, we see the Bible, if we kind of imagine it in a courtroom setting. Because in that setting... Um, we, we see God as judge, and he's a just judge. And a matter of fact, we, we see within the Trinity, God the Son, God, uh, I mean, God, God the Son is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Um, we see that God actually puts his son Jesus in the judgment seat in the last, last days. And so we can think in one way that Jesus is judge. Um, in another, in another way, we can kind of look over and go, okay, he's also the jury. He, he knows everything, right? He's the jury with all the details and all the facts. In another way, we can go, well, he's also the, the DA. He's also the prosecuting attorney because he knows all that's wrong. And he's going to bring, God will bring those things against us. Um, some ways you can maybe throw the devil as the DA, I don't know. You know, when you hear somebody have their rights read, um, they'll say, you know, you have the right to attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, the state will appoint you one. A state-appointed attorney, that is an advocate. But we also see God as, uh, Jesus as advocate, that he advocates for us. You know, sometimes when you're watching TV, you'll see a, a crazy kind of, kind of person who thinks that they can be their own attorney, that they can go and be their own defense, and it never goes well. That's the self-righteous. The self-righteous are their, their own defense. And so when I see this, Jesus is either our judge or our advocate. Repent from our self-righteousness and choose him as advocate. So let's jump into the text. We're going to read Luke chapter 12, verses 57 through 13.9, and then we'll go back through it and take it apart. Uh, know that there, there's a series of things going on. There's so many parables. So it's not like a full-blown long parable. There's so many parables in this text. Verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, 
let it alone this year also until I dig around it and I put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. All right, so we see these kind of uh, three kind of stories here. Let's go back and find the first one. Let's go look through it. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Um, remember, uh, just a few weeks ago, all, all, of, all of this is in context, right? And Luke has been telling a story. And just, just weeks ago in our sermon, just literally several verses ago in the, in the book of Luke, we hear of uh, two brothers who ask Jesus to judge between them about their inheritance, right? This is the kind of thing that he's talking about. Uh, why do you not judge yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. Right? You don't want to be dragged to the judge lest the judge like make the decision that doesn't go your way. It's, it's, it's wise to settle this out of court. And the officer put you in prison. And so here's the big idea. The guilty are wise to settle out of court. The guilty are wise to settle out of court because, he says, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. And remember, he's talking to a real group of people. He's talking to a specific group of people. And he's been talking uh, around, there's, there's lots of Jewish people, there's Pharisees, there's these rulers and lawyers, right? And, and th- this is very much who he's talking to. And so when he, when he tells this, he say, he's saying this to a specific group of people. And I'll just tell you, these are people who don't find themselves guilty. They, they have a self-righteousness about them, uh, uh, a righteous... Uh, man, we, we are good, everyone else is bad. Th- these are a group of people who, who can look on others and see their sins, but they don't see their own. They're, they're a people with what we, we talk about this sometimes, that they, they have a log in their own eye and they're really good at seeing a speck in somebody else's. Let me tell you about my friend Toby. Um, there's a documentary made about my friend Toby. Um, it's a documentary. You can watch it on Netflix. It's called The Heist. There are um, six episodes of The Heist. He's in the middle, too. It's called The Bourbon King. Uh, Toby was a member at my old church, the church I was on staff with for 13 years. He was a member there. He's just a, just a good old country boy that, um, uh, you know, he, he and I shared a lot of things in common. We love to fish and love to hunt. and um, I always talk to him or whatever, but, but he worked at Buffalo Trace Distillery. And at Buffalo Trace, um, they, they have a line of bourbon called Pappy Van Winkle. And there was some bourbon, really expensive bourbon. Uh, Pappy Van Winkle, Winkle Caper bourbon went missing. And uh, it had been missing for a while. Matter of fact, the detective um, who was on the case trying to find the bourbon, also a member at Buck Run. Uh, good, another good friend named, named Rick, and I just, I love, I love and appreciate Rick. Well, I get a phone call from, from a guy at church one day. He goes, Toby Kurtzinger just got arrested. I said, for, for what? For stealing bourbon. They're accusing him of stealing the, the, the pappy. And he went, oh, no. And so, man, I, 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 I mean, I'm friends with their family. I worked out at his wife's gym, um, 
and I knew him well. And so I was like, what in the world? Like a, this is making, literally, I think like big news, national news channels picked this up. And they started calling this guy the Bourbon King. And um, I went to jail and visited him. And I, I remember walking in and, and him coming out in his orange uh, jumpsuit and uh, knockoff Crocs. That's what they were. They were knockoff Crocs. And uh, I remember sitting there talking to him. And he got out of, of jail. And, man, tons of his friends had turned their back on him. I mean, they just ran from him. And so I'm, I, I would take him to lunch. I remember sitting at a Thai restaurant called Thai Smile. What a funny name for a restaurant. It was really good Thai food. Though. I remember sitting there talking with him, and he just, he just, I'm innocent. I did not steal that bourbon. I did not steal the caper bourbon. We go a little deeper, we go a little deeper. Well, he did steal bourbon. He, he literally was caught with five 50-gallon drums of wild turkey. He had all these other bob- bottles of bourbon. He had he had steroids. He had all these things. He had broken the law. But in his mind, he did not steal what they were accusing him of stealing. More drama, small town. There's this media attention-loving sheriff that was crooked as all get out. Crooked as a snake. He was just snake in the grass. He was a no-account sheriff. He just could not get over the fact that he was lying. And he thought he's self-righteous. And so in his mind, he was willing to go to trial all the way to the judge. I remember Jennifer and I were sitting with his wife when she said, I've been offered a plea deal. An Alfred's plea, I believe is what it was called, an Alfred's plea. I'm going to take it. And he, her taking that plea deal nearly caused them to get a divorce. In his self-righteousness, he just could not get over the fact that he was being accused of something he didn't think he did. So much so that he was willing to go. And, and by the way, it goes up to the end. And uh, i just not going to spoil anything, but Toby goes to jail. That's what I'm going to tell you. Toby goes to jail. Um, you can watch the documentary. I won't spoil it for you. There's a lot of, lot of twists and turns. Um, just know I was almost famous. Just know that... Um, <laughs> There was, I, was in, I was in the courtroom with them. There's a picture on Netflix, and it's Toby and his wife, Julie, and my shoulder's like that far from Julie's. I was three inches from having my shoulder on Netflix. Um, so close. Um, we do exactly what Toby did. We, we like so don't want to look at our own sin and deal with our own sin that we look at somebody else's and get fixated on it and think that we're self-righteous. And we are so good at seeing the speck in somebody else's eye and and forgetting about the log in ours. Um, Saturday morning, Jennifer and I were running. And um, she was well ahead of me. And she she, she ran 20 miles on Saturday. She was a beast. I I only did 10 and I'm chasing her up this hill, and we're behind the Walmart, the small mart back here. And I watch a drug deal go down. I watch, 7.30 in the morning, I watch somebody buy, buy meth. And uh, you know what my heart did, don't, don't you? Well, I started judging them. I just got mad about it, like meth on our streets and all the damages that it does and whatever else. And, and man, I got in a self-judgmental kind of place. And, and the reality is, man, 
I, I would have been much rather, much rather looked on them with mercy and grace, thinking, how can I fix this problem rather than how can I condemn this problem? How can, how can I be a part of the solution rather than how, how can I just cast judgment? And so we all are sinners. We are all fallen. We are all self-righteous, and we want to put ourselves before God and say, look, we can do it. We don't want to make God, Jesus, Lord of our life. We don't want to make God Lord. We want to go, hey, we're good enough. Look at them. They're the bad ones. I'm the good one. I would just remind you some things. Earlier, Luke chapter 12, verse 4, Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear whom, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. God is a holy, righteous judge, and we come before him as unrighteous people. And we, we have to come before God realizing in that role he has the ability to make sure that we pay our debt to the very last penny. And I will tell you what that means in the scripture. That means you cannot pay it. You cannot pay your own way out of it. And the, the Bible says that, that that would lead you to hell, to eternal damnation. Verse 56, he says, you hypocrites. Brandon preached this last week. You know how to uh, interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but you do not know how to interpret the present time. Last week, as, as Brandon handled this, this passage, he talks about the, 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 the return of Christ, Christ the coming in this moment, and here, here, here they are. There's, there's a, a double sense in the return of Christ. Christ came once, and he's, he's preaching to these people, the Messiah has come, and they don't know. Like they, they, They've learned how to read the weather. They've, they've, we, we do this. We, like, we learn. We know all these things. We're so smart. But they could not see that Jesus was in front of them. They could not see that Jesus was with them. And so are we that we don't realize that Jesus can return. We don't believe that Jesus can return at any moment. And so, friends, I'm going to tell you, before we are found guilty, we are better off to settle out of court. Before our day where we meet the judgment of Christ, we're better, better to settle out of court. When we meet Christ, when we meet, we, we want him to be our advocate. So verse 13, we'll continue. There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Here's our next big idea. Our sin is judged by God's standard. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul tells us this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's a reality. 
That every man has a day appointed to die. Every, every man has a day appointed with the judge. And, and at judgment, at that moment, it will be determined whether you get to go to heaven or whether you go to hell. That, that moment is coming for everybody. It could, it could happen for us if the, if the Lord doesn't tarry and he comes. It could, happen, it could happen in his coming, but it also could happen in death. And on that day, our sin is judged by God's standard. It's not judged by human standard. God's standard comes from God's word. Um, the first five books of the Bible are, are, are known as uh, the Torah. Um, so if you, you take and you look, read, we're just, read Genesis, uh, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You like read those books, read the Torah. You have re- read what God calls His standard or rule. It's the canon of Scripture, and there is there there in those are the laws, and we get the Ten Commandments. And so you have all these laws, but we, He boils them down to ten for us. And I would ask you, what of you, who of you, has lived without breaking one of those Ten Commandments this week? Right? Like, we look at the Ten Commandments. We, 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 we look at God's standard of rule and we go, we, we can't keep them. Now, we look at those Ten Commandments and go, well, sure, I lied, but I didn't murder. Murder's the bad one. I, I didn't cheat. I didn't, I didn't commit adultery. You know, I might have coveted, but I, I, didn't, I didn't cheat. And so we look, at, we look at one of them and go, I just broke the little one. I didn't break the big one. But man, Jesus' ethic changed that for us, didn't it? Because what did he say? If a man looks at a woman in lust, he's committed adultery in his heart. Rut row. If a man looks at somebody in hatred, it's as if he commits murder in his heart. Y'all drive in Colorado just like I do. <laughs> it's hard. Do you ever have to go to Denver? It's real hard. Right? Our sin is judged by God's standard. It, it's It's... It's, it's there. So we, we, we ask the question, like, you, you, look at, you look at what they're saying, like, hey, tell us about these Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled on their sacrifice. It would have been around the time of Passover, scholars think. Uh, we don't know for sure. There's, like, there's not really any other account of this, hap- the, like, hearing about the Galileans' blood. But it seems like they did something wrong. And at the, at the temple, Galileans, by the way, are Gentiles. Uh, he mingled their blood and sacrifices in some great showing of power to, to, to like this authoritarian kind of psychological warfare. And and was their sin wrong? Was their sin were they like bigger sinners? Were they greater sinners? What about those? Jesus says where uh, the the tower falls on these people. Was it because they were they were worse than the others? And that's God's judgment on them. And, and we know that there was this bend towards believing that because the Pharisees asked Jesus one time, they say, uh, tell us about this man born blind. Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? Failing to see their own sin. Right? That, that's the issue because he calls them out. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. This isn't, well, it's easy to look over here, like, I, I enjoy watching the court case on TV. I'm not, it's not real, it's not me, right? But it's different if you're in the hot seat, right? And it's your sin, it is real. Why do, why do bad things happen 
to good people. That's, that's kind of what they want to know. They like, bad, bad things happen to bad people. Why do bad things happen to good people? I hope you know the answer to that question. Why do bad things happen to good people? There are no good people. That's, that's the answer. Because we have a sinful nature. We're fallen. We're, we're sin. We're, we're one bad decision away from being like the person that we're casting judgment on. Matter of fact, there's only, there's only one good person. There's only one person that's met the standard, who's kept the standard, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who's lived a perfect and holy and spot, a spotless life. And so here's what I would just tell you. Here's the next big idea. Repent. Believe in Jesus and be saved. And this is what he tells them. Unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Re- repent and be saved. Uh, let, make Jesus the advocate for you. Let me see if I can explain this a little better. I had a friend in college. His name was um, John David. And, and uh, I love John David. Uh, and really great preacher. Um, but he's actually not a preacher by vocation. He's actually a lawyer. John David's a lawyer. And his father was a lawyer. Uh, they were to practice in Atlanta. And uh, when John David was a little boy, he was a uh, this is self-described. I wasn't around him as a little boy, but John David says that he was a very bad little boy. He said he was just a little boy that was always in trouble, always in trouble at school, always in trouble at home. Um, he's just constantly in trouble. And when he got in a whole lot of trouble, uh, and his mom would mom would go to punish him, and 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 he had done something really bad. You know what she would say, right? Just wait till your dad gets home. Anybody ever heard that? I feared my dad. I hated it when that was said to me. Um, just wait till your dad gets home. And so the normal routine is that if John, uh, John David did something really bad, he would, he would, dad would come home. Uh, he would ask, he would take him into the bedroom. He would sit him down. He would talk to him. He'd say, what did you do? And then he would give him a spanking for punishment. One day, uh, John David had been particularly bad. He had done something. And um, he, he, his, you know, his mom says, wait till your dad comes home. Dad comes home. He gets him, he takes him into the bedroom, and he says, son, uh, your mom said you did this. Did you do it? And John, John David owned it. He said, yeah, I, I did it. He said, do you deserve a spanking? He said, yes, sir, I do. He had learned that it was better to take that consequence to own it. And his dad son, said, son, do you know what mercy is? And he said, no, sir. John David said, mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. So you deserve this spanking, but I'm not going to give it to you. You're not, you're not going to get it. You're getting off scotch-free. And John David's like, sweet. Mercy is a good deal. I like mercy. Mercy's great. Uh, it rocks on. A, a, a few more weeks or months go by. John, John David's behavior is still bad. John David gets in trouble. He hears those words from your mom. Just wait till your dad gets home. Dad gets home. You know, he'd gotten plenty of spankings after that moment of receiving mercy. And um, John, Dave, John David's dad sits him in there and says, son, did you do this? Yes, I did. Do you, deserve, do you deserve a spanking? Yes, I do. And his dad said, son, do you remember mercy? And John, John David's thinking, yes, can I have it? You know? And he goes, well, what is it? And he said, mercy's not getting the punishment that you deserve. And he goes, yes. He said, do you know what grace is? He said, no, sir, I don't. He said, grace is getting something good, something favorable that you don't deserve. And he picked him up and he hugged him and he took him to McDonald's and bought him ice cream. 
John David's like, man, grace is way better than mercy. You know, it's not just that I don't get the punishment. I didn't get the punishment, and I got ice cream. This is a good deal. Like a year goes by. John David's dad has tried everything to get his attention, to show him, uh, like, how he ought to behave, and it's just not going, going well. And uh, same thing. He gets, in, he gets in trouble at school, gets in trouble on the bus, gets in trouble, gets home, and he hears those words, those dreaded words, just wait till your father gets home. His father gets home, and, and normally, instead of taking him to, to, to the bedroom, he takes him to the garage. And he's like, what's going on here? You know, like, are you going to nail me to the wall? Are you going to, like, put my head in the vise? Like, what's about to happen? And John David's um, dad takes his belt off. He's holding his hand. And at that moment, John David knows, like, I ain't getting mercy and grace. You know, like, that's out of the, the, the picture. And he, he asked the question, son, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Do you deserve a spanking? And with trembling in his voice, says, yes, sir. And John David's dad takes that belt, and he rears back. And instead of hitting John David, he begins to beat himself. And John David tells the story, and he says that his dad had whelps coming up on his arms. And he said he wasn't beating him as if he was beating a little boy, giving a boy a spanking, that he was beating him like you would beat a grown man. And he beat himself, and he's flailing, he's beating on himself to the point that John David starts crying and begging his dad to stop. Dad, stop. Dad, stop. Dad, stop. And he stopped, and, and John David looks at his, his dad, look, he looks at John David and says, Son, you remember, you remember mercy that's not getting the punishment you deserve. You remember grace that's getting something good that you don't deserve. I want you to understand what I did today. I did what Jesus did for you. It wasn't just that I showed you mercy and I showed you grace. I took the punishment that you deserved. You know that when God looks on us and Jesus, Jesus advocates for us, it's not, it's not like a lawyer. To look at them. Look at their outstanding character. It's no, they're guilty, but I'm taking their punishment God looks on you, and if your faith is in trust in Jesus, he sees Jesus as your advocate. He's the one who goes to, to God on your behalf. You know, we ask this question sometimes about God's salvation. Was Jesus' death on the cross sufficient to save everybody? And the answer to that is yes. His death on the cross was sufficient to save everybody. So, Zach, does that mean that everybody is saved and everybody goes to heaven? Well, no means. Because the Bible says that we must repent and believe the gospel to be saved. Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient to save everybody, but it is only efficient for those who believe it, who for those who repent of their sins. Re repentance is a military term that means to turn about face. You're going in your way of doing your thing, and maybe that thing is self-righteousness. Maybe you're working at your own good deeds, and it's realizing that it's sinful, and it's not enough, and it is turning and running towards the advocate, running towards Jesus who saved you. Repent, believe in Jesus, and be saved. Let's look at this last parable, this little mini parable. Verse 6. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. 
And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Why should it take up this room in my garden? And he answered him. He said, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and I put manure on it and I fertilize it. Let's fertilize the roots and let's see if then it will produce. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now, this is an interesting parable because we hear this parable and, and it makes us wonder a question, right? Did the fig tree produce fruit the next year? What do we think? Anybody want to take a guess? Uh, if you think it produced fruit the next year, raise your hand. If you think that it didn't, raise your hand. Most of us don't know. That's what I just learned. Most of us have no clue. Like, this is a trap. Uh, yes, it was a trap. Um, the truth is, we, we have no clue about the, the, fig, the fig tree. But here's what I think Jesus was saying. We, we see... We see this analogy used multiple times in Scripture. A good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And when a bad tree, uh, when, a, when a tree doesn't produce good fruit, it is cut down and thrown into the fire, right? Well, there's, a, there's context to who he's talking to. He's talking to the Jewish people, the Israelites, God's chosen people. But guess what they've stopped doing? They've stopped bearing fruit. They, they, they've, they've stopped bearing fruit. And God has been long-suffering with them. He has been patient with them. His kindness over and over and over was meant to lead them to repentance. And here they were with Jesus in their midst. And they could not discern that he was the Messiah. So here he is fertilizing that tree. Here, here he is tilling back up that ground. And I think that that tree, uh, man, we, we look what happened. They killed the Messiah. He raised from the dead and they continued to deny him. And so, here's this warning. God is patient. But don't wait on his patience to get your life right with Christ. Listen to this. This is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, Beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slow, slowness. But it is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are at are done on it will be exposed. We do not know the day or the time. Christ could come back this afternoon. He could come back a thousand years, two thousand years from now. We, we have no clue. But what we know from Scripture is we ought to be ready when He comes. That when He comes, we are ready. God is patient. And maybe you are like that fig tree that, that it's like, uh, no, cut it down. No, Christ advocating on your behalf. Give it time. I'm telling you, make it right with the Lord today. Repent of your sins. Place your faith and trust in Jesus and 
be saved. The Bible tells us that we should confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised his son from the dead and we will be saved. Don't tarry. Don't wait. Do it today. The Bible tells us that when we do that, how we tell the world that we are followers of Christ is through baptism. Baptism is a symbolic expression of our faith that we go into a tomb, that we're buried with Jesus in baptism, we're raised to walk this new way of life. And it's, a, it's proclaiming to the world, I am one of Jesus's. Jesus is, is my advocate. I'm following Jesus. I'm with him. Here's my last big idea. Though our sins are many, his mercy is more. There's, a, there's another person that's always in the courtroom. And it's Satan. And Satan is flaming. These darts at you that say, guilty, sinner, guilty, sinner. And most of the time when he says them, he's right. But you know what he leaves out? Forgiveness. Forgiven. You're forgiven. Christ is your advocate. Christ has gone before you. Christ has taken your punishment. So therefore, place your faith and trust in him. Receive his mercy, his grace, and his atonement today. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you were merciful that you were gracious in sending your son. Lord, I pray that today people would cross over from death to life. That, that today, if there's any, that for, for the people who are in the room who, who don't believe in you, who, who aren't there, who aren't ready to give up their life, aren't ready to live for you, aren't ready to make you Lord, that today they would realize like today is the day of salvation. Today's the best day to do it. Today, let them uh, turn from their idolatrous self righteous ways and let them place their faith and trust in you. Lord, save today. Move and work in our midst today. Lord, for those who've placed their faith and trust in you, would, would they realize that when they sin, when they fail, that when we ask for forgiveness, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins, that you no longer look on it, uh, uh, us and see how we've broken the rule and broken the standard, but that you look on us and you see your son Jesus. And in a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of praise, Lord, let us worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.